Ready? <laughs> Welcome to the Dual Citizen Podcast. Ready? Welcome to the Dual Citizen Podcast. One, two, three. Welcome, Welcome to the Dual Citizen Podcast. Does that work? Hey everyone, thanks so much for joining us today on the Dual Citizen Podcast. My name is Anna Claire Novlet, and I get to host this show along with an incredible team of students who volunteer to work really hard and make these conversations happen. At the Dual Citizen Podcast, our mission is to help you realize your influence, understand your civic responsibility, and reflect Christ in your community. This summer, we are unpacking that second facet, understand civic responsibility, by talking to some fascinating individuals who have set incredible examples of service and sacrifice on behalf of their neighbors. Today, I spoke with Senator Ben Sass and his wife, Melissa, who have been serving their neighbors in Nebraska since the 2014 Senate election. Honestly, they live a crazy life, but God is using them in huge ways to preserve the freedoms we celebrate this 4th of July weekend. Also, as a side note, Zoom made my voice sound like I'm calling into the Paul Feinbaum show in this interview. So please just imagine your favorite radio show and you're really going to love this one. Here we go. It is such an honor to talk with you today, and I know this conversation is going to be so much fun. Um, I have always admired, especially since starting to become more interested in politics, um, just the way your family has displayed a commitment to civic responsibility, especially as Christian. And leaning into this topic um, of civic responsibility, it's kind of our focus for summer 2021 on the Dual Citizen podcast. Um, so it's it's just great to have such a wonderful example here. And I know that, um, I know that you may not feel that way, but your family really is, um, and you're making a huge difference. So, um, today we are going to just keep asking questions about what it means to engage civically, whether that's in your neighborhood or in your town, in your city, in your state, um, or on Capitol Hill, like the Sashes have found themselves doing. Um, we are going to dive into that and, in May, just kind of for some context, um, around celebrating Memorial Day, we spoke with an Air Force veteran about his life of service. And mm-hmm. coming up on the 4th of July, kind of celebrating again, we, we wanna highlight this, this theme of service again, because in a, in a unique way, you and your family are also engaging in a life of service through the United States Senate. Um, so first of all, thank you for that. And, Thanks for being here. And then would you just go ahead and, and tell us kind of the story of your family um, in a, you know, in a few minutes and, and then take us to 2012 or 2013 when, when Senator Sass made the decision and you made the decision as a family to run for office. Um, so as a couple, just what did those conversations entail and, and what ultimately compelled you to enter the public square in this way? Well, thank you, Anna, and it's a joy to be here, and I'm grateful that you um, are helping people think about their role as a dual citizen in the kingdom of God and then in this um, place here in America, so thank you for doing this, and um, our family is a family of five, and we live in Fremont, Nebraska, which is a wonderful little town of 25,000, and um, kind of out in the country. We're not in full farmland here because it's in the eastern part of the state and the farms kind of start in the mid and go out. But um, we love being a part of a small town. And my husband was working at Midland University and he was leading the college there. I was working there. And um, 
I loved raising our kids there. Um, it's a great place to have a family where they're exposed to so many people from all around the world and different ideas. And um, we really enjoyed it. But the Senate seat opened up and some people in the state started talking to Ben about the possibility of running. And I remember one night we went on a long walk on a dirt road and he asked me what I thought about doing it. And um, things that are really important to him are protecting freedom of speech and freedom of religion and what the future of work and the future of war is in our country, um, especially working with college students, um, helping them thinking about navigating this changing world and what work is gonna look like in a few and several years. And so he thought he could do that well in the Senate, um, thinking through policy ideas and vision ideas. And so as we were talking, I asked him, okay, but don't ruin our lives. So I wanted um, him to just have really good people around him um, that weren't obsessed with politics. And I think he's done really well having thoughtful, um, caring people that have very low egos and want to serve. So that's how we started out. And um, I guess we're in our second term now. And so we hope to um, finish that way as well, thinking about how you serve and how you're a part of the kingdom of God and this worldly place and do well to serve other people. Yeah, wow, that's a, a great story. And I feel like, especially for me being coming up on my senior year of college and then most of our listeners also being in college or just early in our lives and our careers, um, it's often, I mean, it seems more and more that, that you really can't plan for, for things like this. And you really just take the open doors as they come. And, and I love that that's the story of how you guys came to such an influential position and are using it in a way that um, really exalts Christ and just exemplifies this, you know, the gentle and, and humble servant that we have in our example of Jesus. And and it's so countercultural, it really stands out. Um, but what an unexpected and wonderful opportunity to do that. So that's that's really inspiring and encouraging. And and I'm glad personally that we don't have to to plan all these steps out on our own and that God always has unexpected and better plans in store. Um so yeah, yeah. What I mean, I'm just curious thinking about life as a family of five, like you said what did the transition look like into campaigning and and doing that with three kids whether maybe you have some stories i'm sure but what what can you say about that well campaigning is interesting with children and um my husband is a very frugal man which is great because we think about stewardship and issues like that but we bought an old and i mean old rv had it painted up and took off across 93 counties in nebraska and um, there was one problem, it did not have a working toilet. And I was potty training a two or three year old, I can't remember how old he was at the time. So there were definitely some interesting, I won't go into details, stories of that, but also just wonderful stories of, you get to take your kids on this adventure of seeing a state that is um, one of the biggest producers of food and cattle in the world. And, um, you see how little towns with these tiny little farms are working and big towns with big farms and all kinds of machinery. We um, toured many plants that produce tractors and 
all kinds of things that help farms run here. And you get to see how cattle are taken care of and just the long process of going from the birth of a baby cow all the way through till slaughter. And it's just hard work. And so we loved our kids seeing um, hard work. One of our favorite books, I think it's by Tommy DePaulo or DePaulo, um, it's called Pancakes, Pancakes. And the little boy asked his mom for a pancake. And she said, well, you need to go to the farmer and get some wheat. Then you need to take the wheat to the milner and they need to do the grain. And then you take the grain, it's all the way through like what it takes to get to a pancake. And that's what my kids got to see, all that it takes to get to a hamburger, <laughs> you know, things like that. So there really were many wonderful things and they were able to meet people from all different walks of life. And um, we would be, that's kind of in the days when town halls were a little calmer. There wasn't much screaming and people really had um, great dialogue over the constitution or healthcare and it was really enjoyable. So even though it was crazy, it was definitely a blessing for our family. Wow, that is so neat. I mean, getting to really know your state. I mean, I think that should be a requirement for anyone who's in office. <laughs> I really do. So during that time, were you able to even comprehend the sacrifices that you would end up making and just what this new life would, would be? Um, I'm sure you had a, a clue and an idea, but, but how has it been? Um, what does sacrifice look like for you guys and for your kids? Um, and what are some decisions that you made to keep your family close and really take on this new role together as a family? Right. And that's definitely still evolving. We're always trying to figure things out. We regroup and discuss it. Um, we had, there's a wonderful Senator, um, Tim Scott, who's from South Carolina, and he's a dear Christian man. And um, the first time I met him was as Ben was being inaugurated. And he said, you know, you guys really need to think about your family. And if you come here or stay there, or you need to stay together because people have affairs in this job. And <laughs> it was kind of shocking, but I was like, well, thank you for that wisdom, like making us think through these things. And um, so we decided that we didn't want to leave our town because we love it here. We are really involved in our dear church and in the lives. We have a lot of older people in our community and I just love checking on them and they are so kind to us. So we didn't want to uproot our kids full time for that. But then we also didn't want to be away from dad. So we spend the summers and the falls here and then commutes each week and then in the spring we go to um, DC and have the spring there so that's how we balance it and it's definitely been hard for the kids to uproot and be away from friends um, but they've bought in a lot to just the vision of wanting to keep our country free and serving in this job and that it's a gift that our dad isn't away in war and so we can give a little to um, help out in this so it's worked somewhat well <laughs> right yeah yeah, lots of flexibility involved. And I'm sure they have, yeah, you have to make those entire family conversations and have everybody in on it and just see it as a ministry and an opportunity. And that's really neat that, that you've gotten to do it together. I love that. Thankfully, um, we homeschool. And so that helps as well. So they're not uprooted out of schools and things like that. Yeah, it's like a semester long field trip every year. Exactly. <laughs> Cool. Well, personally for you, I mean, after seeing Congress up close for six years over this past term and into the second one, what are you personally most passionate about seeing change in the U.S. and, and just things that you um, are excited that, that your husband gets to work on and things that you're passionate about as a family? 
Um, well, I think people have to be very careful with power, money, and fame. So I've really seen um, humans just aren't great with that. And so there really needs to be accountability. You should have great friends in your life and mentors who are checking on things. And so that's one of the things that I've seen, but I'm encouraged about so many things and want Christians to be filled with gratitude um, about what we have in our country. And I know there can be many things to be scared of and many things where we see injustice that we want to change as Christians. And so go for it and do that, but also recognize just the incredible gifts that we have, the freedom of worship and um, yes, just the ability to show up at a church and not be scared that you're going to be taken to prison or have a Bible in your house and that's not going to be confiscated and you're taken to prison. So just, it's amazing being in the Congress and seeing all the different issues. Um, ben is on the intelligence committee and so he gets to see a lot about what's going in the world. And so that's just an area I've seen. I, I want us to be grateful for the gifts that we have and to keep working to keep that freedom and to keep our gifts, but also not to be so stressed or just to be so angry or bitter about bad things that happen. Because as Christians, the world has always been bad since we've been kicked out of the garden, unfortunately. And so um, we're not Noah. We're not the only ones who believe in God. You know, we're not by ourselves. We still have community. And um, so I'm grateful that our government protects that and protects order. Yeah, me too. Wow, so much. And that was a lot of what our last podcast was about too, talking with my friend, Mr. Doug Wilson, who's been in the Air Force almost his entire life and traveled all over the world and just seen so many other countries and systems of government and cultures and said, all you really have to do is travel a little bit to understand what we have here and to be so grateful. And that comes with the responsibility of challenging, um, you know, challenging things that can improve and, and calling, um, you know, calling your communities to, to love one another better and, and things like that. But we really do have so much to be grateful for. And I, I think really, truly one of the greatest threats is that my generation really is not mm -hmm. um, willing to be patriotic and um, have that thankfulness for, for the freedoms we enjoy. So yeah, thanks for reiterating that because sometimes I forget just looking through social media and um, seeing a pretty much constant stream of negativity. And so I'm excited to celebrate this weekend and, um, you know, kind of have an aware, sober-minded um, understanding of, you know, this place isn't perfect and this world never is going to be. And we, we do live in a broken world. That is why um, we have so much hope in Jesus and in him restoring the earth, but, but really, um, so many people have made so many sacrifices for us to be able to believe that here and worship here. Right. So yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a big deal and we cannot forget it. Um, I guess I, I was going to ask you about some experiences that have given you hope and you kind of just touched on that, but maybe what's a story, um, of just the way that, um, you've seen something maybe for on behalf of Nebraska or um, there's something that has really been able to move in a positive direction um, and just a, a piece of hope and a positive thing that maybe we haven't seen on the news in the past few years. Well, one of the things is just when you're in DC and you're thinking globally and at a national level, 
you forget kind of about the little things that are going on at home and in the small towns. And that's what's so great that we come back here and that we have a long time here is because in our community, everyone almost is involved in serving someone else. So you see people who have bought a home for an after-school center for lower socioeconomic kids. You see people serving um, in homeless shelters. You see people doing things for the pro-life movement. Like we just had the baby bottle movement where they send out baby bottles during um, Mother's Day and then you fill them with money and send it back on Father's Day. But just every, almost every single person that I could run into in Fremont is doing something for somebody else. And so I feel like that is the encouraging thing that all the craziness on the news and social media, if you really get into so many people's lives, most people aren't all caught up in the drama. I think it's a very small percentage of people who are on political Twitter and, and who watch MSNBC or Fox or CNN. It's a very small number of people. And I think most Americans want to have commitment and community. And um, so we just keep going for that and trying to serve in that and talk about that. Don't be so caught up in all the, the craziness of the discussion. Get where you are, live where you are and serve where you are. And you'll be so much happier and so much more fulfilled. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it really does take looking around instead of looking at the TV or Facebook or Twitter to to just have any hope, um, but we really can find that in one another. And and just for our listeners, I'm spending the summer in DC and one of the most appalling and encouraging things has been the, the difference in people's perceptions of DC from back home versus when I've gotten here and actually met people who are working here, living here, working on Capitol Hill and working for these advocacy groups and nonprofits in, in the city that are that are really changing the world. And there are so many strong Christians and people who care so much about their neighbors um, and so much good is happening here. It's really, it's really amazing. And one of the things we've been talking about too, is like people don't, even those who seem like our enemies don't wake up thinking I'm gonna destroy our country today. I mean, everyone has a foundation, a background that motivates them to do what they think is right. And it's beautiful that we have, you know, differences in that and that we have unique backgrounds and experiences, but it's a really encouraging thing to see people living in a lot more harmony here than you would think. Um, and, and really respecting one another as, as people do what they believe in. And, yeah. and sometimes there's not, and that mm -hmm. can be really tough because I ache for truth and unity and we want that and it's not great to call for unity when you're not unified around something and so yeah that is difficult and I respect that people are upset and um and we do long for that but also as Christians we're called to have patience kindness good you know fruits of the spirit and um yeah it's it's definitely a discipline to try to do that but yeah in in most places you you care about your neighbor you can't shout and scream like you can on social media because you're seeing them at the grocery store so it's not really great to exactly do that. yeah well that kind of leads us into talking about um this new book that senator sass has come out with it's titled them why we hate each other and how to heal and that may seem extreme but it really is reflected in the past few years especially when it comes to politics i mean we have just been in a time of 
um, showing a lot more hate than love um, across the spectrum, even among Christians. And and so this book is really about how we are the richest, most comfortable generation in history. We comparatively to other periods of history are doing just fine. Um, and yet we are facing a crisis of isolation and despair. And that's reflected in record numbers of overdose and suicide and these really tragic things um, that are happening more than ever. And so the book emphasizes that what America needs is for us to just love our neighbor and connect with our communities because these relationships are vital. So mm -hmm. tell us a little bit um, about how this book came to be and just how this principle of pursuing family and relationships in, in your community um, has proven true for you guys. Um, well, I think as Ben grew up, he his grandfather was, um, just such a servant. He was didn't have a college degree. He actually worked at the same school in as a um, financial, I think, what was he the CFO. CFO of the school. He worked up from nothing. And um, he was a man who every day did so many things for those in the neighborhood. Like on Sundays, people who couldn't come to church that they were stuck at home. He would take over the tape, the cassette tape, if anyone's heard of that, of the sermon and sit and listen to it again with those who were homebound. Those were pre-Zoom days and things like that. But um, so he learned that from his grandfather who was involved in the Rotary Club and all kinds of service organizations. And so Ben started seeing that less and less people were involved in those things and wanted to encourage people as the political rhetoric heated up and saw these frustrations, he was thinking that people aren't involved in, in being with their neighbors. So um, he decided to, to get on, but do you wanna add anything to that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the glories about the American experiment is that we really believe that everybody's in soul, right? We believe in the universal dignity of everybody. And if you believe in Imago Dei, people are image bearers of God and we're meant to live in time and space means we have actual neighbors. And the purpose of distant federal politics is basically, it's more than this, but it's mostly just to maintain order. It's to maintain a framework for ordered liberty so that you can live in your neighborhood. It isn't like the local is less than the, the distant national community. The local's the real point and the distant national community is supposed to be made up of servant leaders who wanna help preserve order so that people can love their neighbor in the places where they actually live. And it feels like the, the grand five freedoms of the First Amendment, religion, speech, press, assembly, and uh, protest. Protest is just what you do to the government when the government's failing to do its job that enables you to do the have the freedom from bad stuff so you can be freedom free to do the thick community local stuff. Yeah. And we obviously have massive atrophy of local organizations. I, I sort of often define myself in a, a weird time. I'm one of the more conservative members of the Senate by policy, by voting record. Um, but I don't really care all that much about federal policy. I care about people thriving locally and loving their neighbors. And so I often define myself as a Tocquevillian localist, um, that Alexis de Tocqueville's vision of America, where everybody is not an isolated individualist, but they're also not a statist collectivist. They're associational entrepreneurs who build stuff. 
And we can just see in the data, you could say, you know, Robert Putnam or lots of other people talking about just the evaporation of a lot of that thick local texture in people's lives. And it's, it's a tragedy. It really is. Yeah, I've, I'm doing some work with AEI this summer, and that's been a huge topic. It's just, we, we know what people are missing. And it's obviously, you know, the toll that we have for, for Christ and his love. But as far as just being able to live respectfully and, um, and like you said, how to heal from kind of this culture of, um, I don't know, we've kind of been trained to just be hostile towards one another. And that's because we don't know one another. And, and so this, I'm excited to keep reading this book and, and share it because this is really, this is it. This is a big thing. And if, if we, you know, we're coming off of COVID and we really have to fight for these local institutions again and, and fight to know our communities because we can just slide by without ever knowing our neighbors now. And so, yeah, I think as Christians, that's a, a big call um, that we have. So, I mean, it feels like there are two different things happening at the same time that neither of them need to be the way they are, but the, the mix of them is pretty dang toxic which is we're the richest people ever at any, I mean, obviously there are lots of people among us who are struggling, but at a median socioeconomic level, and obviously COVID, the pandemic has made this particular year um, uniquely painful, not only at a health level, but at a social interaction level, water, but across, electricity. Yeah, but across yeah. the long stream of decades, we are the richest people anytime in any place in human history. And it turns out one of the sad downsides of lacking necessity and having on average the middle-class family with very little uh, local need. You don't have to borrow sugar from your neighbor. And if you don't have to, it turns out you tend to interact with your neighbor less. And that, you know, kind of Martin Luther, one of our kids is named Augustine. It's a bit theologically heavy for a 10-year-old, so we call him Breck. Um, but that sort of Augustinian to Lutheran understanding about, about thick neighborliness and about vocation is when you need each other, it turns out you, you spend more time caring for each other and having that reciprocity of actual human interaction and relationship and commerce and, and just breaking bread together. And if you're so rich that you don't ever have those needs, you tend not to know your neighbors. And statistically, we know right now that it, you know there's a high correlation between happiness and knowing the person who lives two doors from you. And as you get richer, you tend to know the person who lives two doors from you less and you get less happy even though you're richer. Um, and then the, the sort of other movement is the way we consume um, current events or news or politics is almost always focused on the most sensationalized, catastrophizing, um, enraged, short-term clickbait stuff. And so most people really don't want anything to do with that. And so the kinds of people who are paying really close attention to politics, it's becoming a more and more self-referential feedback loop of the producers of news, most journalists, many of whom want to cover longer term and more interesting and more balanced stuff. Um, I, by balance, I mean good news versus bad news. They find that they get the most short-term attention by screaming the world is going to end um, by sundown. And then the people who click on that tend to demand that more. So the producers tend to produce that more. Only 14% of Americans are paying attention to politics on a daily basis. And that's because there's a crowd out of healthy kind of, you know, one cheer for politics, middle brow people. Most people are checking out and those who are paying more attention are screaming, give me the crack, which is the world's going to end today. Right, exactly. And that takes me into this next question of for the majority of us who feel like politics are just way too much. I mean, 
this is the the bridge that the dual citizen is trying to be from i don't i don't really care because it seems like i don't know how to care and and keeping up with national and global politics is just so consuming and kind of depressing what would you say to someone who feels that way and what are some practical opportunities we can look for um, at a local or community level that would allow us to incorporate and just practice civic, civic engagement in a way that's a lot less intimidating. And you're kind of getting at it already, but both of you um, maybe maybe share on that. Um, yes, um, well, as you're talking about, you're interested in serving in the pro-life movement. And I remember one time we were doing some stuff with that movement and somebody said, well, yeah, you're pushing for life, but what are you really doing for the moms that are choosing life? And it was very convicting. So I decided to, this uh, actually is the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center had uh, a mentoring program. So if a young woman chooses to keep the baby, then you go alongside with her, um, helping her think through, you know, what it's going to be like to be a mother, being there afterwards. And um, so I think those, you know, you're helping in the pro-life movement, but you're helping this mom who is um, affected by the decision of abortion and things like that. So I, I can tend to think small. He tends to think bigger, but I'm kind of like, live where you are and you can do small things. We're, when we're also in DC, um, I volunteer at a, a classical Christian school at Anacostia, which is in one of the rougher um, urban areas of DC. And um, it's an incredible place. You see kids who don't have a lot, who some of them just don't have families, and yet you're free to tell them that they are precious in the Lord's sight. And um, encourage them them each day in their study so people could be big brothers big sisters or volunteer in schools or run for the school board i mean there's so many things another thing and this isn't policy but i encourage christians to go to nursing homes and visit with old people because that's first an incredible way to have an understanding of our country over many years like you hear amazing stories from older people and also it just reminds us that we're dying and so what are we investing our lives in each day? So um, do you have any other suggestions for? I mean, I'm gonna get the hook in a minute. I have to interview somebody, but I, I, I guess I would say back to everything you said was great. And she, you know, stacks at our breakfast table. We have this little nook area where we and our kids have breakfast when we're all here together. And there's always just a stack of stuff like Voice of the Martyrs, um, different religious liberty publications and missions, journals from around the world. And it's a pretty good way to get out of the short-term screaming about some you know, political grandstanding about some piece of legislation today that's not really gonna go anywhere, but there's somebody who wants to sell it as clickbait for tomorrow. There's just, I, I kind of think of it as the word news is best contrasted with old. Right. And what you're really asking is in the information flow of your life, how much stuff do you want, do you need that stood the test of the time, test of time and is wisdom um, and it's theology and is lasting stuff, um, the things hoped for, the things unseen. And then of the news, uh, meaning in my in my kind of read recently published stuff, how much it really needs to be about politics uh, versus, you know, there's a radical decline in global global poverty over the last 30, 40, 50 years. In all of human history, there's never been um, such a movement as we've seen in the last few decades as the spread of the rule of law, the spread of markets, 
uh, more trade, more education about different kinds of agricultural practices. I mean, there's just an amazingly great news story. They'll never make the news because it doesn't bleed, so it's not going to lead. It's not something people can scream about today. It's a long-term good news trend. And so I always try to think old and wisdom stuff is probably more important in my information flow than news. Of the news, how much stuff can be about big trends in technology and culture and economics versus mere politics. And of that stuff that's in politics, I tend to just throw away most news sources where somebody gets paid more money if they can make me mad, right? As opposed to really covering the story, if their economic incentives are around performative politics and outrage, I pretty much just tune them out. And so it takes work to find good news sources. I read the Wall Street Journal, I read The Economist, I read The Dispatch. Um, there are better publications, but most stuff, and we know this you know, from, I think I overheard you say something about cable news screaming every night on politics, but it's also true on most of Twitter. I forget what the current numbers are, but it's like 15% of Americans are on Twitter, but well over 80% of all tweets come from less than 2% of that 15%. So it means a tiny fraction of 1% of America is generating the overwhelming majority of tweets. And the goal to go viral usually has to make somebody really angry. Like if you're not making somebody angry, it's not That's likely true. to be viral. And so you have to cultivate your news sources. My phone is ringing that I'm tardy to interview somebody. So anyway, Anna Claire, nice, nice to meet you. Thank you. But, but yeah, I am so encouraged and just thankful for you guys and excited to um just cheer you on as a family and pray for wisdom because i feel like we don't think that we have all the exact right answers and that we're perfect on everything so we just want to be wise in this mm -hmm. calling for however long god keeps us here but yeah yeah, for yeah we can we can do that so um i i think really at a practical level for for all of us you you know we talk about engaging with elderly engaging with um our neighbors and my challenge to people my age really too is is let's let's start with our families and um build relationships with our grandparents and listen to their stories and listen to their lives um because they have seen so much progress they have seen so much heartbreak throughout their lives and um that's something that's been on my heart a lot just because that's something that too isn't very popular to invest in your family. Um, it's, it's get out and and don't look back and and don't really plug in there. And so, yeah, I love that y'all are doing this together. Y'all are promoting um, some really really good ideals in the best way that you can right now, and just just being obedient to to the doors that are opening. So, thank you again, and um, really enjoyed it. And and we are praying for you. This conversation was one of my favorites ever, and I really hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to check out the Dual Citizen podcast on social media and leave a review if you enjoy the show. This will help more people find out about these conversations. You can also find this episode as well as dozens of article resources on our website at anchoredpassion.com slash dual citizen. Thanks so much for being here. We'll see you next time.